Well, the parable that we're looking at today, it's the next story that we, from what we looked at last week, we've been reading through Matthew. Uh, this particular parable, it's, in order to understand it, it's uh, not just given randomly, it's uh, given as a response to something, and it's given as a response to the chief priests and the elders of Israel there in Jerusalem, uh, to them a question that they have for Jesus, but it's not really a question. It's more of a, a, a of them being upset with Jesus. And they said to him, by what authority do you do these things? And so the concept involves going into this parable, people in authority, chief priests, elders, that's why the parable is about a father. And chief priests, that's religious. Elders in their culture, that, that's also governmental type thing. It involves this structure that extends from families. You know, how does authority work in a family? You know, being a father, how, how does that work? How, how, does, how do things work in the church? How do things work in our community? So in other words, he's giving this parable, and I, I know for me, you're going to have to excuse me, but the parts that really hit me most were as a father, and, and I've, I I know that there's other, that, that the same exact things that I'm feeling in terms of that relate to the church and relate to us in our communities, us as America. You, you can see the relation to it, and so you're going to forgive me if I my examples and stuff focus in on a father. I, I know that in truth, it, it probably relates more to us as a nation. Maybe it relates to us as a church. But the feeling that they're getting at when they ask this question has to do with what Jesus was doing. And Jesus was, was from a place, Nazareth, no one thought anything good could come from it. Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And he was, they said he's a friend of tax collectors. He didn't create a separation of people. He was doing things where, where on the Sabbath, he was healing people. And the law said, you shall not work on the Sabbath. Was well, healing, you know, work? You know, or is people coming to get healing work? For, for whatever reason, whether right or wrong, they viewed it as being a violation to the law. He had just come in and pushed all the money changers out of the temple. Uh, in other words, and everyone sees this when they look at it, that this parable really evolves on a civic level uh, revolt or revolution or reform. Uh, you know, however it is you want to say that, some pushback on Jesus's part. And by them, when they said, you know, by what authority do you do these things? And he says, well, let me ask you a question. What was the baptism of John or was the message of John? Was that, where was that from? And they talked amongst themselves and they say, if we say it was from God, then they're going to say, well, why didn't you believe? Why, why weren't you on board with that? If the change that John was saying needed to happen, John's pointing out corruption on a corporate level, on a church level, on a 
personal level, if that's true, that something needs to change, why is it you as leaders didn't get on board with that? He's going to say that. That would make perfect sense. Why didn't we? If that's what we believe, that's from God, the change is necessary. But if we say, well, it's not from God, I mean, everybody around us knows that we need to have this change. So we don't want to say that. So they just say, we don't know. And Jesus says, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do this. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, once you figure that out, then you're not going to need to answer this question, but you're not willing to grapple with what's actually happening here and grapple with the difficulty of what's going on here. You see, they viewed themselves as the authority, and though they probably back and forth with each other thought this senator or this or that is needs it has corruption. They, they would admit there was a certain amount of corruption, but they felt like in order to maintain their authority, they needed to push forward on things regardless of that. And they saw Jesus as pushing against their authority, and they saw Jesus as taking their authority, their place away. And unfortunately, all of those aspects don't just come up in society. They also come up in the church, and even worse, they come up in our family structures. And Jesus gives this parable, and the first thing he says is, what do you think? And if you took the parable on, your, on its own, it would be, what does you think? But, but really, a better translation is, what's the point? They're, they're pointing out that, you know, does something need to be changed? Are you coming at us? You know, and Jesus is obviously pushing things forward in a way that, that things need to change. What is it? What's the authority? That battle, that revolution, that, that sort of reform that's coming forward in, in that sense, that's the way they're thinking. And Jesus says, well, before we go there, I mean, let's slow down. What, what's the point? What's the point of all this? What's the point of this discussion? What's the point of authority? What's the point of feeling as though you need to say something and everyone else just needs to conform to that and you're just going to pressure and put everything on people until they conform to the culture or whatever it is that you say? What's the point? And if we're talking about that that's all messed up and we want to change that and redo it and get another, what's the point? He says, he puts it in the context of personal to help emphasize what the point is, which is a point that we all know. He says, there was a man who had two sons. Now, and then he says, he went to the first and said, son, go out to work in the vineyard. He issues a command. What's the point of a father to the extent a father has some sort of authority, to the extent a father is going to issue out a command to its child, to a son in this story. What's the point? What's the point of that? Is the point that the son's just lazy, means to get out there and work? I mean, they didn't have electronics back then, so we can't say that. <laughs> well, maybe they didn't have TV or something. I don't know. But what's the point? Is it that the father just needed some work done? Is that the point? Is it that something needed to be instilled in the kid? Is that the point? What's the point of a father and, and two sons? A father, two sons. What's the point? The point is obvious. The goal here is for the father 
to love the sons, which should be the case just by nature, and for the sons to love the father and for the sons to love each other, for them to be a family, for them to have a real life loving and caring for. That's the point. What's the point of a church? That's the point. What's the point of the Bay Area? What's the point of our neighborhood? What's the point of us as a neighborhood? That's the point. And, and as you get further up, in, it's easier to lose track of that point. And, and Jesus brings it down to, let's. it's the same point. But what's the point between a father and two sons? It's easy for us to see. The point is, but if that's the point, how does this work out then? <laughs> if you type into Google, I did, I shouldn't have done that. It, Google's a bad place to be to type in things like that. Should you be a, a friend to your child? There's so many websites that say, absolutely, it's the worst thing you could possibly be. You are not your child's friend. If you feel like you need a friend, then you need to go find one. But that's not your child. you know. Or if you're a friend of your child, then you've lost all authority. Yeah. When Jesus said, I don't call you slaves, I call you friends, he's lost all authority at that point. <laughs> when, when, if God were to ever, God never would. But if he ever were to see us as a friend and to come down on earth and be here with us, he would lose all authority. What's the point? Jesus is getting at. We're losing track of the point when we say things like, by what authority? We've already lost track of the point. What's the point? We know what the point is. The point is for the father to love the sons, for the sons to love the father, for uh, for them to be friends. Well, how does this moment of him saying, son, go out into the vineyard, do some work. How does that fit in with that? I know for me growing up, my dad was, you know, I've said before, working 24-7, seven days a week and he did uh, construction work, either working for someone or getting jobs on his own. And from the time I was, you know, little, uh, he'd take me to work with him. And sometimes it was, yeah, he needed some help, you know. Um, but it was really just, he just wanted to spend some time with me. And he just knew that was the only opportunity he was going to get. He never once said it like that. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, even as a little kid, you get the inference. What's the point? Here's what Jesus says that, that we don't understand. First, think about what's the point. And then let's talk about how this all works out. He says, look, I told my one son, go in the vineyard work. And that son says, sure, no problem, on it. And never went. And then I talked to another son and said, hey, go into the vineyard. And he said, no, absolutely not. And pushed back, no, and took off. But then after some time, that son felt some regret and then went out and did it. He says, which one did the will of the father? <laughs> now, this is a mind-blowing thing for me, thinking about being a father. The option of 
a son saying yes and then going and doing it isn't even there in the parable. <laughs> but we think of that as like, that's what needs to happen. And authority and me asking and me telling and them responding is all about getting to that point. It's almost like we see that as the goal. Conformity is the goal. But Jesus is saying, first of all, that's just not going to happen. But what's the goal? Says the goal was accomplished in the case of the son that said no and pushed back and then felt something and responded to that feeling, regret, and then did something. The goal was accomplished in the softening of the heart, and the softening of the heart began with a no. Now, why is that mind-boggling? Well, in the case of a parent, your child saying no, I mean, that's like the equivalent, nothing good can come from Nazareth. That's like saying nothing good can come from tax collecting and prostitution. It's like to say that what I want to see happen begins with my child saying no, what good can come from that? What good can come from a son saying no? And then he says, you know, well, the one that said yes felt nothing, did nothing. We need to come to grips with, if we do want something where the Father loves us, we love the Father, whatever authority that it's not just authority, but it's authority that loves and cares for us, authority that's exercised in a way that actually cares about us and isn't just trying to, to lock us up and throw away the key. Well, if the goal is an authority, you know, as a son, I, I, it wasn't that I didn't want to have a father. I wanted to have a father. <laughs> I was fine with the idea of having a father. But we want a father that, that loves us. Authority is fine, but what's the goal? And to say that it's only going to come about by our children saying no to us, uh, that's not something that sits well with us. It's hard for us to see that. And you know, I... Uh, on the one level, you look at it as a, a father or as a parent, and, and you say, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, I, for, for me growing up, uh, it was kind of a, uh, uh, my dad thought it was funny a little bit. I, I remember, uh, uh, you know, being a little kid, I remember my earliest members are like three years old wrestling with my dad and him like, you know, you're going to say no and wrestling with me. It's like, you're not, you can't, you don't have a right to say no until you can take me on and just wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And I take it seriously, go at him as hard as I could. Time being a little kid. He'd just laugh. Yeah. When you can take me on, 
then you can say no. And then he, he'd take and he just sort of, just lightly, you know, touch me on the arm and be like, ah, you know, I mean, he just felt so hard. And, you know, when the day came, it, it really didn't produce what it is that everyone that we thought it was going <laughs> to. You know, and it's not just dads. I, I remember, you know, sometimes mom's like, you'll say no over my dead body. And we're kind of like, whoa, let's not take it to that level. <laughs> well, what's the point? We're so resistant. We just say, no, you know, you've got to like earn something to say no, or you've got to arrive at something. You, you have the, before you have the right to say no, we go, uh, we can't, we're not, it's not about being a friend. We know where the goal needs to go. But Jesus is saying, look, what we need to grapple with isn't people earning the right to say no, isn't this battle of authority. What we need to grapple with is that for all of us, we say no to God all day long, every day. And to the extent that we think we're saying yes, we're really just lying to ourselves and to anyone else. And it's really more of a sign of us feeling nothing and doing nothing. We say no to God. God's waiting for us all day long for our heart to feel something. And he puts into our heart just a small seed of remorse or regret or something, a softening, a small softening. And the progress is made as we grab a hold of that and let that sink in. And we all know what those moments are like. And it's not a, a, a fun moment to grab a hold of regret. You know, uh, in fact, we're, we're mostly taught in one fashion or to, that like, you know, if we want to grow up, we need to push regret down. But Jesus says, don't push it down. Feel it. Feel something. And unfortunately for the son, the one felt nothing. The other one felt, but that feeling started, unfortunately, with regret. It, it, it's The goal is for us to feel something for each other. But we're so dead in our hearts that that feeling oftentimes starts with regret. And we know those moments that we have regret. And Jesus says, it, it, he goes to John. What's John? John preached a baptism of repentance. He says, what's the path of righteousness? The path of righteousness is lit by these moments where we feel regret. It's like, here's the path, and we're way over here. And it's like regret is like a light that pops on over here. And if we go to it, it brings us back to the path. The path is not lit by us, like, knowing the right thing, doing the right thing, feeling the right thing. We're brought back to the path by God touching our heart and us feeling some regret. And he says, grab a hold of that. And if... We are in some sort of role where we're in relation. Give people a space for that. But that's the beginning of something. 
Why is it the beginning of something? Because it's regret. No, because if your heart is dead, feeling anything is a start. <laughs> feeling any kind of like remorse, feeling any kind of, oh, I shouldn't have done that, is at least a start. He says, what's the goal? How does the path come out? Let's be realistic about what this path looks like. And then he says, you did not believe, but the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they did. And even though you saw this, you did not repent and believe. He's saying, look, if you see yourself as a leader, they saw themselves. If you want to lead, great. Then lead in what's real, not what's fake. Being a leader isn't about being the son who says yes and then feels nothing and does nothing. All of our leaders around us, that basically, you know, let's take it to a national level. It's about feeling nothing and doing nothing. And that's part of the problem. Leadership, if we're going to lead our kids in something, are we going to lead our kids in the stupid idea that I'm always right? Are we going to lead our kids in the idea that no matter what, you just need to do what I say? Are we going to lead our kids and do as I say, not as I do? I mean, those are all stupid things. If we want to lead our kids, Jesus says, let's lead them in this. Why don't you just feel some regret and let them know it? Why don't you lead them in repentance? Why don't we lead them in, in seeing that they don't need to push this regret down? They can grab a hold of it. Now, unfortunately, this word is used to describe what Judas encountered. And Judas, you know, he killed himself. And if we just look at it, it's a depressing, depressing thing. Why we don't want to grab a hold of regret? Because, well, what does that lead us towards? Jesus. Judas knew Jesus. What we have the opportunity to is not to just grab a hold of it, to bear the weight of it so that it just crushes us down. He's not saying grab a hold of it so that we'll just like disintegrate into depression, grab a hold of it so that we just have to grapple with the fact that I'm just worthless. That's not what he's saying. He's saying grab a hold of it and give it to me. That's another option. It's a difficult thing, and we're not going to be able to go there. And the path is lit. It's not lit by us feeling the right things, doing the right things, saying the right things. It's not lit by that. It's lit by the fact that we just keep resisting and pushing. And if we're, to the extent that we feel, we feel some regret. We're not having it. What we can feel is some repentance. And he says, go ahead and grab a hold of that. And then hand it to me and see what I'll do. And to the extent we can, we hand it to what, what did Jesus do? He grabbed it and he bore it and died on the cross for us. He took all of our regret and nailed it at the cross and, and bore it for us. And then said, God, what are you going to do? And what God did was God raised him from the dead and gave him new life. And we have new life with him. What does that all mean? Is that just religious mumbo-jumbo? It's real. It's practical. 
why not just finally admit and say, I can't do that. I've made a bunch of mistakes. I've let things in the wrong direction. I've made a disaster of this and just own up to it and just grab a hold of it and not internalize it or whatever. Just it is the way that it is. And then just say, Jesus, can you just fix it? I don't even know what that would look like to be fixed. But can you just, I just need, I need help. I need salvation. I, I don't even know how to describe the words. I can't even like put it up, but I'm just going to take it. I, I don't know what else to do. Give it to Jesus. And this isn't just a fake thing of like, oh, give it to Jesus. And now I feel bad. Literally, see what happens. See what he does with that. See if he steps in. If Jesus doesn't take it and doesn't do something with it, then why would we go around calling him Lord? Why see him as saving us when we don't see him saving us? He's not asking for something fake. He's just saying, give it to me. Give the ball to me. See what I can do with it. See what I will do with it. And then if he takes it and saves us, takes it, brings the situation around, takes an impossible situation that we've just made a complete mess of, and somehow turns it around so that there's some sort of inkling of, oh, now the father's, you know, kind of like loving the sons. The sons are kind of loving each other. The sons are loving the father. Some sort of semblance of that is now coming out of this. (laughs) What's our response to that? One possible response might be to just thank you, Jesus. And to be honest, that's if we're going to talk about church, that's pretty much what church is about or what we're doing here on on Sundays is over and over again, through his word, God speaks to us and Jesus opens our hearts. And the, the hope is, is that in looking at his word and hearing what God has to say, that he's softening our hearts so that we will embrace whatever regret we have, not see ourselves as any horrible than anyone else, but give it to Jesus and recognize that we've done that. And to the extent that we've done it and Jesus has saved us, that Jesus has changed some sort of situation in our life. He's breathed some sort of life. He's allowed us to live through this This once a week thing is really about us just being able to say, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. And that's kind of the difference between church and like a knitting club or something like that. (laughs) Is what's the goal? The goal is for us to see that God loves us. Because God does love us. The goal is for us as sons and daughters to respond back in some sort of way, say, I love you too. Some sort of way. Thank you, Jesus. And unfortunately, I think everybody, including God, wishes it was something else, wishes it was us just always loving, always saying yes, always trusting, always having faith. Unfortunately, That's not the path we're on. (laughs) Unfortunately, the path to feeling something, to us being able to say, thank you, Jesus, 
has to run through in some fashion or form, some amount of this second son feeling some regret, feeling something that just doesn't really set him in the right direction. Taking it. And then stepping out on that basis. So I think the challenge for us as parents is, you know, as you think through this, I mean, you know, none of us really do the kind of job that we wish we've got it all this like locked up in our minds, like what, what this is passed down from generation or generation, but it's pretty easy to take a look at it and say, I need some help. Not just because my kids, I, I just need some help because I'm just making a mess of this. And, and I just don't want the goal. I don't see how, how I'm going to get to that goal, but God, will you just give me that goal? And the goal is to have a life together, have a family. That's the goal for us as a church. We all know that's the goal. That's the goal for us as a nation. We all know that's the goal. But he says the only way we're going to get there is just accepting that we probably shouldn't have been saying no. We shouldn't have been pushing back on some things feel the regret and then hand it over to jesus let's pray jesus uh we thank you for giving us this new option a new option of life that affects us as a family affects us in every aspect of our life and i pray that you would confirm this path of the gospel Confirm the salvation that you're offering us. Confirm in us in some small way in this life, you saving us and giving us life so that we can have faith in the life after death. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.